0: Welcome to Blammo, a podcast with an exclamation point. My guest this week is Trey Kirby from The Starters. The Starters is a podcast, a blog, and a nightly TV show covering the NBA. I talked with Trey this week on how a sports fan stuck at a desk job in Chicago graduated from a blog to a podcast to a TV show. Here's my talk with Trey Kirby.
1: Are you there? Let it rip.
0: Alright. <laughs> nice. Alright, well Trey, well first off, thank you so much for coming on Blamo.
1: i uh, love it man. <laughs> I'm very happy to be doing so.
0: Thanks. So there's a ton of stuff I'd like to talk to you about. Uh mainly about how you became a cannonball expert and how you got onto the starters and how you became this blogger. But uh let's go back to the beginning like most stuff, sure. get the backstory, get the nitty gritty. Um, you're from Chicago.
1: Well, that's Uh-oh. a bit of a misnomer. I, t- I tell people I'm from Chicago because I'm actually from a tiny town called Plano, Illinois. That's 45 minutes from Chicago, probably. Um, oh, it's I a know kind Plano. Of... How do you know Plano, Illinois? The only thing oh. anybody knows Plano, Illinois for is a lot of people do. Is I because... lied. I know
0: Plano, Texas
1: plano texas that's the famous plano but plano illinois i will say is the world's largest producer of plastic tackle boxes shout out to plano molding if you look (laughs) at a fishing tackle box it probably has a p load on it for plano (laughs) and also i mean shout out to the 90s if you had a caboodle back in the day Oh yeah, That was also straight-up Plano molding. So that's what my hometown is most famous for. I had a caboodle. It it's fun. a lot easier to say, yeah, I'm from Chicago, and having people know where that is as compared to explaining, you know, the backstory of injected molded goods. Did you grow up with a lot of plastics or something, Be- being that you're
0: from this <laughs> this plastic town?
1: Uh, I don't know. I don't know what a standard amount of – plastics is but i would say everybody i know growing up had a tackle box from plano molding and also probably someone else in their family had a caboodle you know whether it's the store like beads or jewelry or you know just various knickknacks yeah. so yeah i would say i was probably right on line with the standard two plastic things so you're,
0: you you grew up uh, classic midwest life then
1: Straight up plastic Midwest life, yeah, that's exactly right.
0: <laughs> yeah, um, well, how did you how did you get into like sports and basketball? I mean, and you know, I mean, we'll get into blogging and stuff later, but was it was it like a family thing to be, you know, because you're a tall guy? Um,
1: oh yeah, um, my dad was a basketball player for sure, and I remember going to the gym with him a ton when I was a kid, and. What do you mean, I like remember, a kid,
0: like twelve, thirteen, or like seven? Oh,
1: I mean like five. Oh, you dang. know, like very, okay. very young. I remember. I remember my dad taking a knee to the mouth and breaking his tooth when I was seven years old. That's like, that's <laughs> kind of the yeah. It was pretty bad. He's he had to get half of a, his tooth replaced. It turned out. Wow. Uh, you know, guys just trying to make impressive moves out in tiny towns doesn't always happen okay. to go down as smoothly as you would imagine, but. I mean, growing up as a kid, my first favorite sport, no doubt, was baseball. I was My dad was a huge Cubs fan, and I can remember a time playing with him in the front yard. We're playing baseball, you know, whatever. And he calls me by my actual human name, Trey, which, you know, he should as my dad. And I got so mad at him. I had to run inside crying because he hadn't called me Ryan Sandberg. <laughs> because Ryan Sandberg at that time was my first favorite athlete, no doubt about it. But really? I would have pegged you for Nolan
0: Ryan or something, no?
1: Nolan Ryan, come on, man. Ryan Sandberg's out there every day with the curly hair fielding his position, hitting for power from the two-bagger. Pretty (laughs) impressive stuff. Yeah, I guess you're right. But uh, also at that time, it was like the Bears had been good. They had Ditka. They had recently won a Super Bowl. So my dad's also super into the Bears. And, of course, Michael Jordan's on the Bulls. So, you know, late 80s, early 90s was kind of a, a good time to be near Chicago, to be a sports fan. And I know my dad was super loyal to those teams. So those are the teams I definitely grew up rooting for. And that all started very, very young. And then, you know, from there, it was just whatever else is on peripherally. Well, that's like uh, the trifecta
0: of sports in the sense that, you know, you grow up. I mean, I'm from St. Louis, which is not too far, but we didn't have a basketball team. We didn't have a football team until way later. Um, you know, which now they don't even have anymore. The Rams are back in Los Angeles. Um, so yeah, I mean, it was just the Cardinals, which I don't know. I've never been a huge baseball fan. And so, I mean, I, you know, I think every single kid at, we're about the same age, but every single kid, your age and my age were huge, you know, Bulls fans, specifically Jordan. Um, did you get to go to any, any games? Like, did you see Jordan play?
1: Yeah, I'm. Happy to say, I got to see Jordan play in Chicago Stadium, the old Bulls Stadium, and in the United Center. So yeah, I mean, I would go. I remember going to games with my uncle on my mom's side. It was a great time. I remember his favorite story is that we were at a game once and I I had gone out to go to the bathroom in between the third and fourth quarter or something like that. And that's when he caught something in the stands and didn't have anybody to share it with. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I. I went to games, I went to parades, like I remember there used to be like punch cards you would get from Subway where once you got enough of them, you got this Bulls helmet that had like a plastic helmet, again, plastics, and then (laughs) (laughs) with like the horns coming out of the side, there was all the crazy repeat hats, like it was an incredible time, and you know, that was right in the era where guys were becoming super famous at that as athletes and
0: SportsCenter yeah. center was
1: really picking up steam. And I don't know, sports just became really, really big right at the beginning of the nineties. And there was nobody that was bigger than Jordan. Yeah. So sure. it was just, I don't know. It's funny to think back how many different memories I have are based around watching Michael Jordan play basketball.
0: Yeah. I mean my, I didn't get into Jordan until video games. It was like video mm-hmm. games that got me into sports because, you know, I grew up, my, you know, families were all, you know, musicians and pastor and stuff like that. So there wasn't that much sports going on. So I always get envious when I hear the fact, you know, someone grew up in a in a home where sports was really like central to, you know, that's, that's, that's what the family talks about is, is sports. So I'm definitely jealous. Well, it's
1: funny you say <laughs> that because both my mom and dad well, they actually met at a Christian college, Lincoln Christian College in Lincoln, Illinois. They both grew up in, you know, religious families. And my dad was a pastor. My mom was a choir director. What? I come I from no a idea. family of pastors. Yeah, for real. Um, But it's it's a little bit the same way in that the a big entertainment factor is sports, you know, because maybe you're not going out as much. Maybe you're not... Uh, Going out to party, so to say. Um, right. So you know, sports can take on a a big a big part in that, and I think also you know, in a small town, I think there's a sense that sports are probably more important than they should be. Right. So I think uh, all those things together probably contributed. So
0: young Trey Kirby, he's watching Jordan, he's losing his mind. And did you stay in uh, in like the Chicago area or the the Pointeau area? Uh, or did you go to Julie for school somewhere or what what happened then?
1: I was in the Chicago area up until I moved away at twenty seven okay so yeah, I went to school in Lyle, Illinois, which is you know ten minutes outside of Chicago, and then lived in Lombard, Illinois, uh where I still own a house if anybody's looking um oh, nice, yeah, if anybody wants to buy a stupid house in Lombard. <laughs> Feel free. Um, well, you're not going to help if you call it a stupid house. <laughs> oh, it's actually a wonderful house. You yeah. know, if you're looking for uh, a first place after you've been married, it's beautiful. It's awesome. There you um, go. <laughs> so, you know, I'm making the pitch now. Nice. Uh, but yeah, so I've been in the Bulls' area. You know, from the Jordan era to the terrible, terrible Bulls era, where they won hardly any games for a bunch of years, to the Tyson Chandler, Eddie Curry. The Ben Gordon Bulls, the Lou Aldang Bulls, and the beginning of the Derrick Rose Bowls, and then that's kind of when—that's when you
0: pieced. Well, that's that's a yeah. good segue. So, when did you start blogging? Because you left because of a you know a blogging job, which we'll get into. But what you know, because I was trying to do some Trey Kirby digging and stumbled <laughs> upon the blowtorch, right? And was that a hundred percent you?
1: That was a hundred percent me. That was um. Blow I started Torch. writing the Blowtorch in 2004 while I was still in oh, college because that was like, you know, <laughs> I
0: I only saw it 2007, but I guess I didn't go back further enough.
1: Yeah, it goes super far back. Um, that's so. But awesome. the stuff that's from like 2004 is like music reviews that I had written for the college newspaper and, you know, just things I had done rather than just being completely sports focused or completely basketball focused until like you're saying, probably closer to 2006, 2007. But I started writing, like blogging, because there were like articles in Rolling Stone about Blogger.com, and I was like, "Hey, you can write stuff here." Yeah. It's so like, okay, I'll try that. So I just, um, you know, started doing that and just had what fun. Where did the doing name it. the blowtorch had... come from? <laughs> uh, I was trying to think of a name for it, right? So I was just, you know thinking of names as anyone does, and I remember having a conversation with my friend Zach. Uh, If we were Spice Girls, what would our Spice Girl name be? And I thought... (laughs) (laughs) I wanted mine to be Blowtorch Spice. So uh, that's where the name came from. Oh, that makes perfect sense. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly, right? I don't know. It sounds cool, though. Um, Oh, no, it's a fire name. But the backstory of it is pretty silly. Uh, (laughs) But... um, yeah, so probably like 2007, I'm working at a desk job that I hate and have a lot of time at a computer by uh, myself. Yeah. So it's and kind of like that's the, the era when sports blogging was really gaining steam and Deadspin was really making a cultural impact. And right. I don't know, things were just growing like crazy. And I was like, hey, I can try this. I've been figuring out how to do this for years. So let's give it a shot. So
0: you start doing that and – I mean, because I think the great part about blogs, specifically Blogspot, is it becomes this sort of digital portfolio. You know, I mean, I had a blog and I think it was hosted on Media Temple. And I, you know, one day I forgot to pay for it and it's all gone now. And I think there might be stuff you can get, but you can't get it. And, you know, B- Blogspot was Google or Blogger or Blogspot. That was all Google at the time. And so all that stuff is still there. And I think it's this, you know, incredible sort of digital portfolio and and time capsule as to what was going on you know i mean i flipped through some of the old articles and you were writing about you know jerry sloan's jazz and and uh there is this recurring writing voice that you know changed a little bit uh throughout the theme but you you really wrote in this this sort of like what is going on here you know uh very explanatory uh like for someone who wasn't an nba fan which i thought was really cool Um, Because, you know, a lot of that stuff, I was like, oh, I think I remember that player. Like, where did that voice come from? Or was that just kind of natural?
1: I don't know. That's a good question. I never really think about that. (laughs) Um, But I would say (laughs) that, you know, people that influenced me, no doubt, were Chuck Klosterman, who I think was a a big influence on a lot of people around our age, probably. And, like, I remember reading Sex, Drugs, and Cocoa Puffs, like, a thousand times during college. Gotcha. So, you know, that no doubt seeps into it. Um, But then also guys online, I thought were really innovative. And I love the way that like Kelly Dwyer was one of my favorite writers and Carl's from Hipster Runoff was one of my favorites. And my favorite was um, Gabe Delahaye from VideoGum.com. I thought that was just the funniest website on the Internet. And. I don't know. I just love the way he ran things and the way he commented on stuff. And I don't know. It was just very, very a mishmash of those guys put together. And it's just, uh, you know, it comes out explanatory, I suppose. Yeah.
0: No, I mean, it's great. I I seriously sat on it for a couple hours just flipping through um, old posts of yours. It's awesome. And I did notice the sort of Vice-ish Photoshop skills, which... I think now, you know, it's like the Tim and Eric look, the, you know, vice kind of do's and don'ts look. Did you, you know, were you just one of those other guys who was like, Oh crap, I need content. I'm going to do this, you know, the self teach Photoshop look, which, you know, now people spend years trying to emulate.
1: Yeah, basically I just wanted to be able to make my own pictures. And that's kind of how I've always figured out how to do things is when I see something I want to do, I just, learn what I can about it to be able to do it and then work with it in that way. And that's exactly where learning anything about Photoshop came up, came about. I remember when I first started running the blowtorch at all, I did all of my pictures in Microsoft paint. Yes. Partially because I was at, um, (laughs) at a work computer, but also because I didn't know how to do anything else. So I, I realized that if you want to make the things you want to make, you know, have to know how to make them. Yeah. You have to know how to technically actually do it. So, you know, I think it's everyone... you can find out how to do everything. So you can <laughs> say you want to cut out a bag of popcorn and put it in somebody's hand. You figure out how do I cut out something from a Photoshop and you Google it and there's a an, uh, tutorial that will explain everything to you in 10 minutes and then you know it forever. Yeah, So it's great.
0: I think everyone can kind of, remember where they were when they learned the clone stamp tool and the magnetic lasso
1: and it's like huge that magnetic (laughs) lasso will change your life
0: yeah yeah because my thing was like how do i you know put some sort of you know gaudy image or gold chains how do i make people look like master p was my thing i just wanted to make everyone look like master p
1: That'd be actually a really good app. I think the Master P app—you just put yeah. it on and put <laughs> gold you chains say,
0: oh. and <laughs> yeah, gold chains and big big fonts that everything was blinged out. <laughs> so good. So, um, you were writing for Blowtorch, and then did other journalists or other sort of news outlets reach out to you? Because I mean, you did write for some other places. Um, I think you know, was was it Yahoo's Ball Don't Lie? Uh,
1: yeah, that's right. Um, a few things to say about that I guess uh, sure at during this era it was it was pretty common to you know reach out to people who were uh, <laughs> making waves in the blogosphere so you know there was a great community and a great connectivity between guys like Kelly Dwyer who ran ball don't Live for a time and skeets who I work with now who ran ball don't Live for quite a long time um and so when they when things were just starting with ball don't lie originally skeets at the time was doing the basketball jones which had just started with tass Mm -hmm. and you know he was writing on the side for for their website so i would send him links of things i'd done and he would check it out and be like haha and then you know post it so you know there's just a bit of a friendship that develops and you know it kind of turns into, hey, you're doing something. You want to do it together? You want to try something for us? And it just builds from there and there, and you just figure out the people who you have connections with. Um, so, yeah, that kind of just meeting those people and, you know, reaching out uh, really led to me being able to try and work out something else with them.
0: Right. So they, what year was that when they reached out to you and, as far as, like, coming on and moving to Toronto? I mean how how long did the did the Basketball Jones kind of exist before you you come on full time?
1: They started in two thousand six. Um okay. and I think by two thousand seven, maybe maybe late two thousand seven, uh Skeets started running Ball Don't Lie for Yahoo. And at that time they took from they took the show from being an audio only podcast to being a video podcast. And you know, every day maybe 12:30 or something like that they would post their video show on Ball Don't Lie so people were getting pretty familiar with Ball Don't Lie and mm-hmm. Ball Don't Lie was growing the basketball Jones was growing and I had been a pretty active member and helper with the live blogs which were also a huge thing back in the early days of Ball Don't Lie back before yeah. Twitter really made everything a live blog it right. was like revolutionary for, to be able to host a chat room about a basketball game right It's hilarious. Um, But anyway, so, you know, uh, things just continue to grow from there. He asked me to do a weekly or maybe biweekly column, you know, just kind of however often things came up called Phenomenal Swag, which was, uh, you know, random weird things to find on the internet you could buy. So, you know, it'd (laughs) be like DJ White's Rookie Card or... A fifteen hundred dollar leather basketball, you know, something just ridiculous that like I like the sharper image for people. sports fans. Exactly right. <laughs> um, so I, I was freelancing with him, and you know, just maybe a couple of times a week, maybe every other week, just however often it came, and that kind of became a regular thing. And in two thousand ten, the job I was working, the desk job, the company closed down our branch, so I was unemployed. Oh. This was what sort of
0: job was that? Was it like finance or something? Or?
1: Uh pharmaceutical research. Oh, okay. Gotcha. Yeah. Uh people always think it's funny that my college major is health science. That's what my degree is in. (laughs) I went to school to try and be a doctor and it didn't totally work out that way. Yeah, Um, (laughs) Yeah. It's funny. Uh anyways. Um so 2010, I am unemployed, but you know, occasionally still writing for Ball Don't Lie and Severance, unemployment, blah blah blah, whatever. Um right. and that's when the Vancouver Olympics start. Oh,
0: so I remember the that.
1: Vancouver Olympics, I had a, a relationship with Yahoo at this point from freelancing with them. So they uh hired me to run their Olympics blog called Fourth Place Medal, which I did in twenty ten and it was fun and it was awesome, and it was my first like full time writing job, but wow. it was only for a month because that's basically however long the Olympics are. Yeah. So, so, um funnily enough, at the time, the basketball Jones sells to the score in Canada. They're selling their show, so they're gonna be able to go there and make their show for the internet and for TV. So Skeets is leaving Ball Don't Lie, and I am running fourth place medal. So he said, Hey man, they're hiring us. You should try for you should try for editor of Ball Don't Lie. So I did. Um and I got it and things really went well. And then in October twenty ten the Bass Jones guys asked me to come aboard and and appear and, on their show once a week and run their website. And oh. a year after that, they moved us to Toronto. Wow.
0: Okay, so I'm just going to kind of re- retrace some of the steps here. So you actually went and you inherited Skeet's job at Baldout Lie via Yahoo, and then mm-hmm. kind of like make your way as appearing on Basketball Jones. I, I For some reason in my head, I thought you just were like, whoop, and just went straight to TVJ. Um
1: Yeah, there was a brief, I don't know, not brief, probably nine-month period where I ran Ball Don't Lie, and at the time that was like my absolute dream job. I loved running Ball Don't Lie. I loved having control and full-time work as the head guy for ball and Lion, it was awesome. It was so much fun working with Kelly Dwyer and Dan Devine and Eric Freeman. It was great. Um, But I don't know. It was just an amazing opportunity to to go work with the TBJ guys. Yeah. So 2010, they offered me the blogging job. And with that came maybe down the line, you'll move to Toronto and you can appear on the show and then we can just see what happens. And then in 2011, that all came to fruition and, We moved up to Toronto.
0: So this is where, to me, like the story is kind of, I mean, because in a lot of ways, you're like the American dream of a blogger. (laughs) I mean, you get, you kind of go from, you know, because I feel like Lawrence Schwassman, who's a mutual friend of ours, who basically gets name dropped on every podcast I've done so far, (laughs) um, you know, like all of us at one point. We're sitting at our desk, more or less banging our heads, being like, you know, this grind stinks and I'm, I'm going to find a way to kind of get out of it or do my own thing or create something. And, you know, you end up getting the story of you love basketball, you're writing about it. Now you're getting paid to write about it. Now you're moving, you're getting up, you know, to write about it and to which, you know, we get a little bit further. And so you guys, to me, were one of the first... I never got into podcasting until Basketball Jones. So I'll put it that way. And this was hmm. 2011, 12, 11 or 12. Yeah. Because um, I, yeah, I was still at Beggars at the time. But yeah, so, and I was really getting into the NBA because I was living in Brooklyn and the Nets were coming over, you know, I'm like a few blocks away from the stadium. And you guys nailed the format to me. And I know like this, you know, I I don't want to give too much praise here, but like, the format was perfect, and, and the voices were great. And, you know, it became – it's funny because I sent it to my mom, who's also a mutual friend of ours, <laughs> Patty K. and
1: yeah.
0: she was like, yeah, this reminds me a lot of the radio shows that I grew up with. And the fact that, you know, the voices of between Skeets and Tass and, and Lee and you were all very distinguished, but there was never too much talking over each other. There was never – you know, everyone had their own unique voice and opinion. How, did this just happen overnight? I mean, or was there a lot of work that went into this or?
1: Well, that's a long story, kind of. Um, oh, okay. Speeds and Tass <laughs> went to school with Matt and JD, who work on our show. They were all on the radio and television uh, program at Ryerson University back in their college days. Um So they knew each other from a long, long time ago. And then, like I said, 2006 start their show as an audio-only podcast, and by the first time I'm doing anything with their show, it's 2010, so they had four years of doing episodes together. So the show, I mean, lives and breathes with them because the chemistry between the two of them is just undeniable. They're just perfect together, and that's why I became such a big fan of the show originally, and that's why I love working with those guys. So I think that that chemistry, I don't know what it was like when they were, you know, in college or what it was like when the show started, but seeing it when the show started and having lived it now, it's, it's just great. And they're just great together. So I think that they are really the basis for everything else that goes on, which then allows Lee and I to, you know, have our own perspectives too, because we're not going to be exactly like either one of them. And I think that they just do a great job of slowly bringing you along. Because I remember when I first came to the show, I would pop in for, you know, two or three lines an episode, probably. This, yes, segment. This would have been in 2011, just pretty every once in a while. And then the next season, I was in the room doing a little bit more and being, you know, a bit more of a regular member, I would say. And at the same time, Lee had been hired, and he kind of fell into my role of saying a few things an episode and then by the next year he was in the room too and it was just kind of like a bit of a trial learning period where you kind of get the hang of things. They see how you work, you see how they work.
0: They being and then, Tass and Lee and the producers.
1: Uh well Skeets and Tass. I mean everybody or, sorry, else is just kinda like everybody else who is there. You know gotcha. so it's like when I came in it was Skeets, tass JD and Matt. Okay. They're seeing how I work, I'm seeing how they work, and then when Lee comes in it's those guys plus me since I had been there already. And it's just, you're just kind of learning each other. So, you know, it's, you're not thrown straight into the fire where you're going to be carrying a ton of stuff at the time, but you kind of just get the sense of how things work and you know what works and you just grow together. And I think that the more you're around each other, it's just more natural to kind of, kind of be doing it together.
0: Yeah. I mean, there's definitely a, a strong, like you can tell how well everyone you know knows each other and, and the amount of space between conversations and letting people finish points. But I think, you know, I don't, I, it feels like there's almost, not that I'm even trying to get more out of you, but just like, it feels like there was more to it and that there was some type of like really strong outside the other guys, like model or production guide that you guys used because there, your podcast went, you know, I mean, cause there's tons of sports podcasts at the time, you know? I mean, I think what like you, uh, the Basketball Jones, which now the starters, and what Men and Blazers are some of the only, you know, outside of the whole Grantland network, were some of the only sports podcasts that I could even handle, you know? I mean, because otherwise it was just, you know, and I know that sports radio goes back, you know, to Colin Hurd and all and all that stuff, but even then, it, it's kind of obnoxious and it, it gets political. I mean, were, were there any rules that you had of, you know okay, we're never going to say this, or we're never going to give our opinion on this or this, you know, or did it just kind of flow?
1: Uh, I would say that maybe a look, maybe the way things play out is that there's a lot of planning that goes into stuff we do. It seems we keep our performance pretty off the cuff and, you know, pretty relaxed. And we try and do all that live, but we would We put in our work beforehand to make sure that when we finally do go live, things are going to come up good. So, you know, we just make sure we do have a form and I know from my experience and I know even more so or, you know, just as much in the days before I started, JD has been a huge influence on making sure things sound perfect and, you know, making sure, making good decisions on what's going to play in a podcast and what's going to understand what's going to make sense as an audio experience. He's super gifted in that. And that's a background he comes from. So he's been mm. a huge influence on that. And, you know, and the, just the technical parts of it and the creative parts of, you know, just the audio experience. And yeah.
0: Cause if you haven't listened to some of the stuff, if, if you're listening to the podcast right now, there's always these kind of audio drops that are hilarious. <laughs> like it's like a soundboard that you guys have just at the ready
1: well that was great back in uh back in the score tbj days we did have a soundboard uh oh. and matty o would run it uh and he he was just very good at finding weird little clips to kind of pop in you know finding yeah. the the drops and the barkley you know, dropping that has continued favorite. on to our podcast now the drop and yeah, yeah, I remember then the, the score built us a soundboard so that people could, you you know, click around and play their favorite drops. And there have been some great ones lost to history, unfortunately, but I know that that's something that Matt and JD both picked up from uh, radio shows they listen to because they always just love those little sort of, you know, toss in things that make things a little bit different. And I think that, they tend to play pretty well.
0: Yeah, yeah, for sure. So 2013, 2012, 2013 happens, and you guys get purchased, correct, by NBA, or by the NBA, Turner?
1: What? Yeah, that's right. 2013, 2013 was a pretty crazy year. Uh, 2013, in Canada, The Score decided to sell their television uh, network, which was The Score. Mm -hmm. to uh uh, to sportsnet so they were just sold to a a bigger sports company but they were going to keep the web business for themselves and that kind of left us without a home it was you know are we going to take a step back and not do tv anymore and just be back online or are we going to continue to kind of move forward and at the same time we had developed a relationship with nba tv uh via doing small videos for them that they would use during game time mm-hmm. during the I guess this would have been the 2011-12 season yeah so we knew they knew who we were we had done some work for them and kind of showed them that we can make stuff um so it was uh awesome and to learn in the summer of 2013 that we were going to be moving to Atlanta to work for NBA TV where we have been since then
0: Yeah, so, and I mean, that show has evolved a ton, too, because I remember, you know, I remember we were texting, and you were like, yo, keep this on the DL, I think something may be happening, I can't tell you too much, and I was like, what, what's he doing? And then, out of nowhere, boom, you know, you you guys, you know, you come back to the United States, because you were in Toronto, and then you guys get this TV show, and I remember watching... The first episode, and it was almost like you guys went, and I mean this in the best way, like the Jimmy Fallon route, and that it was kind of, I know like, because uh, I don't have cable, I haven't had cable really ever, but you were online first, right? Um, it was like you were on YouTube first, or or you could, you could be streamed on their site first, I think.
1: Oh, way back when, in the TBJ days?
0: No, 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 I mean in the NBA TV days.
1: Oh, but, NBA TV days. Well, when we started our first season, we... Basically, we're just able to put up clips from our show online, which were typically on NBA.com, sometimes on YouTube. But this what that was during the 2013-14 season. Um, we had a one-hour show. You know, I think it we would live stream every day from.
0: Yeah, that's what it was. It was we a live stream. Me. Yes.
1: Yeah, you could watch the live stream without <laughs> commercials while we were recording it. From I think it was noon to one, and then it would air that night at six o'clock or whatever. Um, so that was. That was kind of fun. We always strive to do live because we just think that you give a looser performance and, you know, it just turns out better. Um, So that's why we live streamed. And it was really cool to be able to actually show people that we were making the show while we were making it. Um, Yeah. And then circa 2014-15 season, we finally were able to put our full episodes up on the NBA's YouTube channel. And that's just been awesome.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's, I, that's how I end up watching it. You know, I watch it through YouTube. But I think the the cool part of that is, you know, other friends of mine who are really into sports and, and also, you know, uh, have, like, tried to do podcasts or things before, one of the, you know, most difficult things of trying to do a sports podcast or even a music podcast is the rights and the licensing to, you know, if you're referencing a game that happened, there's a, a you know whatever someone did this dunk or this person totally fell or Kyrie Irving just schooled this guy you couldn't really show it and I think one of the best things that you guys that got and the fact that you were working for NBA TV is you could rebroadcast that stuff like the like you know ESPN it was so cool
1: when we were going from the score to NBA TV that was the thing we were most excited about because like you're saying while we were making the show in Canada we couldn't show footage and put it online because we didn't have the rights, you know, because the score didn't have NBA rights or the rights they did have were only for Canadian TV. So the television show that they were making up there was, would have footage in it, but the show we put online couldn't. So when we were coming to NBA TV, we were like, this is going to be awesome. We can show basketball. And like you're saying it, um, it really makes it, you know, if you can actually show footage, you're making a show.
0: Yeah, and I think that, to me, was the most exciting thing because, you know, I have you know I have friends that love SportsCenter, watch it religiously. I like it, but the only ESPN stuff that I would kind of watch a little bit was like PTI. And a lot of the other stuff was so boring, you know, and it was just so dull. And the news was fine, but, you know, everyone just had this just... Horrible sort of local news type sports coverage that was just dull. And then you guys come along and it felt more that you were speaking. Maybe it's like I was just getting older. I don't know, but it felt more that you were speaking to me and my language and my, you know, how I wanted to hear things. You know, it was funny. It was witty. So much, so many jokes. I mean, there's always this kind of like inside joke you guys will have, whether it's wedgies, which is, if you're listening, it's a when the basketball is like stuck, like, like what is it like on top of the glass
1: well Uh, the true wedgie is between the rim and the backboard yes getting wedged up in there
0: yeah (laughs) and then uh you're like pick 'em playoff stuff and that you know so it was like you guys took what worked well on a podcast and in a radio show and you were able to, to bring it to a tv sports show that to me was like kind of was just perfect um I mean serious like i it's I love the show so much because it made some of the like boring recap i mean because i'm sure you 've had to deal with this before when it's like not really anything crazy happened, you know what i mean um it, you you would like this if you're a sports fan because this team you know they 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 were they came from a ten point deficit and they won, you know, but there was more just funny stuff. That was, like, shareable and fun stuff online that people who weren't into, into sports or were maybe casual fans could engage to daily. Um, and that kind of got me more into the NBA than ever.
1: Uh, that's awesome to hear. And definitely a huge credit goes to NBA TV for letting us do all kinds of weird stuff and all kinds of silly stuff. Because, you know, there are... Sh- shows on the network that are recap shows and that are highlight shows like game time. You know, if you are a basketball fan and you're wanting the latest news and that kind of stuff, that's what you're going to be watching. Yeah. So, but that's not always what you want to watch. And we have always just kind of strived to make the best show we can and to make the most fun and the funniest show we can. And Oh yeah, our show is about basketball. So that's what everything is going to be based on. Yeah. Um, And then, you know, the fact that, Our show came from the Internet and and was based around conversation and based around, you know, shareable things and based around, you know, videos for the Internet, that sort of stuff. We were able to just pursue that and to continue to focus on conversation and debate and to continue to make things we think are funny and that hopefully other people will think are funny. And so. Luckily we've been able to sort of strike that balance between keeping it true to our podcast roots and doing things that make sense for TV now that we have this incredible visual medium.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's it's great. And I it's been really fun to also see some of the um the older NBA guys whether it's Barkley or the older sports casting guys whom apparently were also players but I'm an idiot and didn't even realize it. <laughs> that would come on i mean uh who's darn it now this is i'm blanking on his name uh who he played for the spurs and he comes on bone zone
1: oh Bo- uh, brent berry
0: yeah you know and yeah, i didn't know i mean that much it's about awesome him. it's
1: it's it's very how did that... surreal to like yeah, have how... rooted for brent berry when i was 15 years old when he played for the bulls and now i have a picture of him on my phone holding my baby it's pretty crazy um <laughs> but it's awesome it's um it's it's really cool that you know we're at the point now where players and broadcasters and ex players commentators ha- will come on our show and you know have fun on our show and understand that understand what we're doing and what we've worked for to to make something out of ourselves i guess
0: yeah what was the thing it was like maybe it was when golden state won but like steph curry or no it was when steph curry won the three-point contest he had mentioned that he was watching the starters and lee's you can correct me if i mistell the story but lee who's one of the guys on the starters who's an australian guy and he, he always references old video footage of uh, old NBA games was referencing how he'd be, how Steph Curry would do better if he switched where the racks were placed. Right. Uh, the basketball, yeah, exactly.
1: Racks. He was, we had filmed like a greatest all-star moments for, uh, during that season. And <laughs> Lee is such a devotee of routine and a man of discipline that he will watch He'll see a three-point contest, and one of the things he'll notice is which side of the body the player puts the rack on. So are they reaching across their body to get the ball up into their shooting pocket, or are they reaching from their hip just straight up into the shooting pocket? And he mentioned that players should be very careful about where they place their racks. And then Steph Curry goes out and wins the three-point contest, and he mentioned it. And that kind of thing was like, you know— exploded our office because we were like this is incredible that steph curry is mentioning our show on, after winning this um that kind of thing i don't think it'll ever change to the fact where it's just like oh somebody else liked our show blah 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 i think that's always just going to be a crazy thing to experience
0: yeah i mean do, um do you have any other fans or sorry not other fans but like do you have any other like you know like other nba guys because i know what's his the beard. James Harden, you know, <laughs> was complimenting you on your beard because now you have a long beard?
1: Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Yes, there there are many fans of the starters among the NBA crowd. It's uh, Our show is on at a good time for NBA players to watch because they're at the arena all day. NBA TV is on all day. Yeah. So that means they're seeing us. And, you know, we are we're their age, you know, we're in our thirties as well. Lee now in his forties, no offense, um, <laughs> but we're, we're their ages. So they see us younger guys making a show and it's a different show and we're doing silly things and we're having fun. So I don't know. They notice us and we've been around for a while now. We are showing up at the finals. We are showing up at all-star weekends. We're, at a random game in November or January, you know, that sort of thing. We have made our presence felt a little bit. So, I don't know, it's pretty cool to go on the road and get to, A, interview James Harden about his beard, just straight-up talk beards with him. And then (laughs) later, when I'm doing a walk-off interview, just talking to him after the game, he gives me a tap and calls me Littlebeard. It's uh, pretty (laughs) awesome. (laughs) So then I immediately go to the Rockets team store and buy my daughter a stuffed animal and bring it home. So she thinks it's her dad.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's like the greatest cosign ever is, would be, you know, to have a show that's about, you know, the NBA or about music. And then all the people whom you really are talking about are, you know, your biggest
1: fans. It's, 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 it's incredible. It, um, the most humbling experience of my life, well, at least recently, I would say, was after Game 7 of the Finals this year. Uh, the way things worked out, I had secured access to the locker room after the game, regardless of who won, and it ended up being the Cavs, like you saw. So mm-hmm. this was a crazy, momentous yeah, moment. huge upset. And, you know, just huge upset. Way. Everything, yeah. LeBron's crowning achievement. And so I'm in the locker room for that, which is just an incredible thing to experience. And I get to go around with the camera and talk to all these guys and just say, hey, are you having fun, blah, 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 whatever. And more than one guy, Kyrie Irving, Tristan Thompson, uh, Channing Frye are like shouting me out on, (laughs) shouting me and the show out during this interview. After they've had the biggest moment of their life, and that was just uh, a really, really humbling thing to experience. And yeah, I don't know. I was really proud. It was pretty. It was pretty crazy to sit next to Kyrie Irving after he hit a game-winning three in Game Seven of the Finals, and have him say, "I love your show."
0: Yeah. Oh, uh, jeez. I don't. I. I guess I. I got to come back down to earth because I'm, you know, becoming like such a super fan, just reliving <laughs> these moments and and putting myself in your shoes. So I apologize for my. For journalistic excitement or whatever but so i want to kind of wrap things up but what sort of stuff do you guys have this will be your fifth season or fourth season on nba tv
1: this is our fourth season with nba tv and right now we're in the midst of our preview series the 72 burning questions um episode one came out just today uh so yeah peep it on youtube um But what else do we have coming up? We're going to be back to the TV show, 7 p.m. Eastern most nights. Um, NBA TV also comes up on YouTube, as usual. And then we'll have The Drop every single Friday. Nice. As our long-form podcast, which uh, really speaks to our old podcast roots. But the big thing we're adding this year um, that I don't think has been totally announced, it's a... and actually, now that I'm thinking about it, I'm not totally sure if I'm supposed to say it yet.
0: Well, you can say it because this isn't going to come
1: out for another week. Uh, unless, well, I unless... still don't know what, but we got something big coming. Okay. And it's going to be on Twitter, and people are going to love it, hopefully. Nice. Yeah, because I,
0: you, uh, new set design, maybe?
1: I can't say more. I can't ah! say more. <laughs>
0: okay. Well, is there any other stuff that you wanted to mention or that I didn't ask you about? I just
1: wanted to make sure we we covered everything. Anything else that I wanted to mention that you didn't ask me about? I don't know. (laughs) Yeah. That's Uh, quite a few things.
0: Any good Barkley stories? Because you and I have talked and hung out, and you've told me privately about funny Barkley stories.
1: (laughs) Well, um, one of my favorite Instagram pictures is uh, Charles Barkley running his hands through my hair because he couldn't understand why somebody would like my hair like that. And, you know, he's just making, <laughs> fun, making fun of me and my wife while we are there. She's like, hey, he's like hey, how, how can you like this? What's what's the like about this? She says, it's sexy. And she, he says, come on. And she said, feel it. So he just ran his hand through my hair.
0: Oh, my gosh.
1: It was a great time. The guy is hilarious. And, you know, every... Thing you've heard about him is probably exactly right um he's an amazing guy and super generous and hilarious and he is uh just the nicest guy that's
0: awesome well trey thank you so much for coming on i hope uh you enjoyed this as much as i did
1: i loved it man this is a great time thanks
0: all right i'll talk to you soon all right, sounds good. See right you've been listening to blammo a podcast with an exclamation point I want to thank Trey Kirby for being my guest this week, and you can always keep up with him weeknights on NBA TV at 7 p.m. Eastern. If you like what you heard today, subscribe and listen to new and archive episodes on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and TuneIn. Find me elsewhere on the web on Instagram and Facebook at BLAMOPodcast, or send me an email at BLAMOPodcast at gmail.com. See you next week.